You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 46, covering Star Trek The Motion Picture with special guest Jason Ellis. Hello, folks. We are back. So back. Yeah. Um, and we've brought some friends along um, this week. My old pal, uh, Jason Ellis, whom I've known for quite some time. Good evening, friends. Um, Jason is the only person I know, uh, apart from myself, who can actually defend the honor of Star Trek The Motion Picture. So uh, in addition to his uh, strong comedic presence and so forth, uh, I, I figured this movie needed, uh, needed some strong defense. So. I'm here for this movie. Excellent. Uh, well, let's begin. We're, we're doing this a little differently than we typically do. Um, we're actually all going to summarize what we've seen. Um, sort of a sort of Rashomon style. This is the movie I saw. This is the movie Matt saw. This is the movie Jason saw. So mm-hmm. uh, I will begin with mine. Um, this flick gets a really bad rap among fans. And while it's technically the second worst movie to feature the original series cast, that's more a reflection on how great 2, 3, 4, and 6 were. Apart from being called the motion picture, which is somehow meant to evoke the quaint early days of Hollywood, a vibe that's totally appropriate for your ponderous and shiny movie about mankind's hopeful future, the film's fundamental crime is his pace. And while I will defend to my last breath quite a few elements of the motion picture, even I can't deny that it was a bit slow. The director's cut clocks in at two hours and 15 minutes, which is a bit absurd when the plot can be accurately summarized in the following three sentences. Earth is threatened by a giant energy cloud thing, giving Admiral Kirk an excuse to wrestle command of the newly refitted Enterprise from Will Decker, the blandest and most white-bred captain this side of Scott Bakula. Spock on Vulcan to complete the ritual that will purge all those pesky human emotions from him once and for all, hears the ill-defined psychic call of the energy cloud and returns to duty. Everyone eventually discovers that the cloud started life as an old NASA probe and wants to destroy the Earth, but the power of human love, or some damn thing, convinces it not to. Oh, and there's a hot bald chick. Okay, so that was four sentences. That's still over 30 minutes per sentence, so yeah, it's a little laggy. But come on, it's so pretty. That has to count for something, right? Right? Mm-hmm. All right, Matt, tell us what you thought. All right. Uh, so this is actually the first time I'd seen the motion picture the whole way through. We start, even before the goddamn Paramount logo, with stars and music for three fucking minutes. Look, the music is really good and suitably epic, but three minutes? Motion, guys. It's right there in the title. Anyway, somewhere in space, a giant cloud attacks some Klingons, which actually look like Klingons, and some incredibly sweet-looking ships. Spock on Vulcan, having his emotions removed, senses the attack, Jedi-style, and goes off to investigate. On Earth, Admiral Kirk is examining the new refitted Enterprise under the command of Will Riker, I mean Decker, which when word comes in that the evil cloud is headed for Earth. The Enterprise is the only ship in range to investigate because that makes complete sense, and Admiral Kirk basically assumes command of the Enterprise, totally cock-blocking Decker on his first command in that way that Kirk used to hate. And what happened to you, Jim? You've changed. Bones also returns as he left Starfleet to explore the funky side of the galaxy, and Spock catches up in a little ship. Everyone's off... Everyone's put off by how dour and serious Spock is because he always used to be so sunny. And we also meet the bald chick, Ilya, who Decker is totally into. Anyway, we arrive at the cloud. Spock flies around in a spacesuit. It kills Ilya and then rebuilds her as a robot so that it can threaten the crew. Apparently, it's from a planet of machines and is looking for its creator. It views the crew of the Enterprise as parasites and it is also planning to wipe away all life on Earth to impress its creator. After some lengthy flying through space scenes, the Enterprise finally encounters the cloud's core, an old NASA probe an old NASA probe that was crashed into God or something. 
Kirk uses his robot convincing powers to keep the probe from destroying the Earth, and Decker stays behind to bond with the probe, so it can become a new life or so, some damn thing. Anyway, it all basically works out, and as the credits, credits inform us, the human adventure continues. Spock will presumably have to, be, have to wait on the front porch. All right. Jason, what do you got? Uh, okay, so I thought this movie was um, uh, uh, about, uh, what do you call it, Mr. Spock was trying to um, uh, reach the ultimate state of logicness. And, uh, but he couldn't center himself because he hated Kirk so much. So he had to go out and, uh, face Kirk, find Kirk, uh, to figure out how to deal with the seething hate inside of him. And, uh, that's when he met the, an alien space probe that was a being of pure logic, which allowed, uh, Spock to learn that it's okay to desperately want to have sex. I mean, to love. <laughs> so, um, uh, essentially it's about, uh, uh, Spock embracing, uh, you know, that side of himself that, uh, would enable him to join humanity's adventure. And it's also about Kirk's need to systematically emasculate and eventually kill Captain Decker. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. The, 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 the primary theme, I think, that, that shines through in all of this is the word cockblock. Because Decker <laughs> repeatedly just gets smacked down again and again. He starts out as, as the captain in full you know, charge. Yeah. He's been there for two and a half years. And yeah. by the end, he's just nothing. Yep. No, yeah, it's absolutely a, a running theme. I, I um, just love Kirk toss him, toss him into science. And then when his buddy shows up, like, oh, Spock's here. Decker, go find I, something to do. Yeah, look yeah. busy. <laughs> and then, yeah, uh, it's like a, like a terrible DM that, that shunts his, uh, his, the friend that he's brought to the game, uh, into the, uh, protagonist, uh, role. Uh, yes. Very nice. And then, and then he's effectively relegated to a red shirt as they go on their, uh, their last away mission there in the third act. So uh, it's murder as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Yep. Basically. I, no, it's the beginning of a new life form. Uh, well, at least he got to go out having sparkle sex. Oh, he wanted it at least. That's he's, he, he was into it. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. <laughs> let, the, let the record show that Decker wanted this. So, uh, yeah, not my fault. Not my fault. <laughs> Make sure that's in the official records, everybody. <laughs> the official records that that people look at. Yes. Yeah. Um, the pace is definitely something that people bring up a lot, and and again, this is one of the reasons uh, that I specifically wanted uh, Jason to join us with this, uh, because uh, you were absolutely right when we were watching this. You kind of have to get into the zone with this. You said you kind of have to, to yeah. get on the on the level that they were going for, and it's actually yeah. Like nice. I say, you know, after Star Wars movies became roller coaster rides, and but but before that, this was sort of sort of okay. Like you know, Kubrick made it sort of okay to to have a movie that you sort of watch, <clears throat> you know, as it as it, it sort of sits there and and is a painting, and you know, it's it brings you somewhere. It's supposed to be uh, like an emotionally cathartic um, experience, but it's definitely not, you know. Uh, seat of your pants kind of an experience. Well, and I think I think the reason it throws a lot of people off is because Star Trek typically tried to be that before and after this. This was really the only time where we got sort of a ponderous, slow. It was a side a sidestep, no doubt. Yeah, and uh, Matt, you said this is actually the first time you you saw this, huh? Yeah, I tried watching it like years and years ago when I was when I was a little kid, and just I couldn't get through the first like maybe forty minutes or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, so the uh, the approach to the Enterprise. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Why are we still not at the Enterprise? We're actually watching in real time as they go it, from uh, from the surface of Earth. To... You see, you turned it off as the shuttle actually overshot the Enterprise so that they could have another five minutes of uh, yep. glamour shots. <laughs> it's right there. Just go inside of it. But see, the thing about that is, and, you know, you got to remember, you got to put this in at least historical historical perspective and say, uh, Star Trek went away in 69. If you count the animated series... Which wasn't visually glamorous to, by any Ooh. means. You know, you haven't had new Star Trek since uh, 74, I think. So, I mean, yeah. 
you haven't had Star like Trek a, in a long time. Totally. The, the, as I mentioned, this was a reintroducing Star Trek. You know what I mean? They're like, this is what this is going to be now, and it's 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 this huge experience. You know what I mean? Rather than uh, uh, the the TV show is amazing, uh, and the concepts were um, were out of this world, but the the actual production itself was was always like in a small room or um, you know or next to a, a like a cliff in Burbank. That same cliff that they used uh, seven or eight times. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, and you gotta, I mean, Jason and I are roughly the same age and, and we kind of remember this movie, but I doubt, like, do you have a, an actual memory of this movie coming out or were you? Like, I, I feel like my first experience with movie was probably similar. Um, to, <laughs> I probably couldn't watch it all the way through either. As yeah, a I would have been five, so you would have been six. And, uh, I, I mean, I do remember seeing Wrath of Khan in the theater, but I probably would have been a little bit too young to see this, but, but uh, what I'm saying is the the mindset of of your your typical Star Trek fan then would have been oh my god look at that ship it's amazing why can't we stay yeah. on that for 20 more minutes totally because uh, because it's made you know partially for for fans and to introduce the um the wonder that fans experience to new people yeah. and so uh, you know as a fan watching watching that it's definitely orgasmic but on the other <laughs> yeah. hand I don't want to emphasize the the defense of it too much I mean Matt I I think you represent the the other side of that a little more which is people watching this for the first time in 2011 and saying, my God, get on with it. I mean, that's, yes, a, that's yeah. a valid point too. Movies are very I mean, different. I now. mean, look, it, it's a gorgeous looking movie. Yeah. And it's to just, see, it spends a little too much time dwelling on that gorgeousness. Yeah. But I mean, but, you know, quite see, frankly, it, it, it doesn't really get away with it. And Stanley Kubrick barely got away with it. And only mm-hmm. because he blew people's minds so much. So this, this movie, I guess you're right. Even at the time, you know, they didn't get away with it. <laughs> well, and, and people go on, like I was, I was reading uh, memory alpha and a few other things um, about how huge the budget was. And it actually yeah. wasn't that what happened was they folded the budget oh. of the failed TV pilot into this. So oh. it appeared to have a huge budget, but it actually wasn't any more expensive than Superman or Aliens or anything else that came out around that time or Alien. One, I guess thing, it would be. one thing you can be sure of is that it just a tremendous amount of work went into it. They worked on it for years and years, especially yeah. the, the effects guys had, had probably more time than anybody else to get their, their stuff uh, completed. Yeah, and from what and, I hear, uh, they worked it right to the wire. Like they were oh, yeah. improving effects right before the screening. And and more moreover, like the uh, all of the ships blueprints that they created for everything, and the um uh the tremendous amount of backstory that they had already come up with for doing the series. I mean, obviously they threw ninety percent of everything away, but the the idea being that there's a lot of behind this movie. Yeah, and there there is a weird sense of like I, I mentioned this when we were watching it at the beginning of sort of clearing the table of the stuff from the series, but the series never existed. You didn't need to do that. Like they had a, a guy who was meant to replace mm-hmm. Spock, a new Vulcan science officer, and they made a point of introducing us to him and then killing him. Yeah. Throw him in the microwave. For no reason whatsoever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, like so much uh, uh, gremlin to Mrs. Peltzer. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, it was great to see a transporter accident. It was great to see like a mold, a blob of pro- pro- screaming protoplasm show up on the, on the transporter pad just for the for the sake of oh my god that's cool but mm. there's really no need for that yeah the, the you know again the idea is to um make people that don't know star trek feel the this this uh this wonder so you know like yeah. the the idea of the the transporter accident puts over the transporter technology as being um you know sort of shocking <laughs> Well, yeah, and that was, that was, really think about we it. mentioned this when we were talking about Enterprise briefly. One of the things that I thought they were going to do in that series was say, this is new, untested technology. Let's not use it because it's scary. And then they just ignored that and used it all the time anyway. Mm. I like, I like establishing that it is kind of creepy that you're basically disintegrating and reassembling people. 
But it is. But if it only happens once and never again, then what's the point? You know. I don't know. Uh, it, okay, you know it's true. It could have been cut. Uh, moving yeah. on, though, was, the the it, um yeah. the the visuals, the overall visuals. I mean, like we say, are beautiful. Seeing so many things for the first time, seeing the Enterprise from all those angles, seeing yep. Klingons look the way they're supposed to look. Yep. Uh, the Klingon ships from all kinds of angles. Seeing oh uh, man, space stations, just uh, so many things that, like like you were saying, Jason, the, the concepts were great, and now we get to see them play out in a, in a very big way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They they match your imagination, what your imagination wants. Yeah, exactly. It's not like a little model on a string. And we got we got to hear Klingon spoken for the first time. Like in addition to them having the ridges on their heads, the the ships look the way they're supposed to look, and they're yeah. you know, like, rah, 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 you know all that stuff. Um, and the Klingon captain, apparently uh, Mark Lenard, the guy who played Sarek, which a nice touch. Just uh, threw him a bone. Here, you want you want to be in our movie? Here you go. Yes, I do. Yeah, that was sweet. <laughs> Yeah, it's still I mean, we should mention that it does beg the question. This is the big, you know, like they asked in that Deep Space Nine episode, like what what happened to the Klingons? Yeah, (laughs) we had all of the other series that sort of folded into this. But see, that's what I liked. Language. That's what I liked on Deep Space Nine is that they didn't they completely sidestepped it. Yeah. Uh, we don't talk yeah. about it. I like that. I yeah, like, yeah, don't worry can't. about it. <laughs> that's a, it's a hard pill to swallow. But then, uh, but then Enterprise tried to explain it anyway. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah it was like a plague or something. Yeah. Oh, that's goofy. Yeah. It's it's better. Like, whatever you imagine is got has got to be better than than putting an exact point on it, I think. Not but, this plague. <laughs> come on. Come yeah. on. <laughs> See, like, my thing with that has always been just, well, they don't look like that in the original series because it's expensive. Yeah. I just like, I'm, I'm willing to, to suspend simple that you don't you don't need like it's true but you, you know you can't explain science fiction stuff with with production uh you know um practicalities because yeah other uh, it destroys all of science fiction explaining that's true I don't know I think I think there's a fine line between explaining and over explaining and I think I think enterprise and even some late next gen and, and Voyager got into a lot of we got to give a backstory for every little thing we got to explain the way you know like, well, mm, yeah. what year was the Federation formed? Well, I don't need to know that. I don't know. Sometimes, like, totally, totally agree. Sacrificing why things work versus how you can tell a good story with them, I think makes makes the story suffer overall. Yeah, no doubt about it. And and where, you know, bringing it back to this movie, I think look how big and awesome everything is. Kind of sometimes sacrifices some character development. Like Spock has a decent arc here, and and Kirk's arc is basically I get to do what I want. And everyone better get out of my way, but that's always kind of dark. Um, but that's it. I mean, Bones is there, and he gets a nice five-minute bit of comedy, but that's about it. And yeah, Sulu and Uhura and Chekhov are all there, but so what? And Chapel's there, but nobody really gets anything to do. Well, they Brand get to shows kiss up Kirk's to ass. Everything. What's up? I said they do get to kiss Kirk's ass. That's kind of what the other crew does for the entire movie. Yeah, that's yeah. true. What were you saying, Matt, about Rand? Oh, they get Rand to, to show up to ruin everything. Yeah, when the transporter accident happens, that's Rand. That's what fault. that scene was really about. Is it was to show how incompetent Rand is. Yeah, she mm. should be a yeoman. It's not a it's not a woman's right. thing. It's just a Rand. She's, thing. she's actually still a yeoman. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What are you doing in here? Graduating captain. And... Her her dad is the transporter chief, and it's bring your daughter to work day. <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of women, um, the, they did get a step up as far as uh, Ilea goes, as far as uh, yes. Persis Kambata's character, which is a great name to say, by the way, Persis Kambata. Um, in that, I mean, you don't just have Uhura answering the phones. You do, it is sort of one step above the original series. Uh, something we did, uh, over the course of, of reviewing the original series is kind of point out how, while the show was very forward looking, women still weren't treated that great. And 
we wished that they were, but unfortunately, even though it gets yeah. a, a reputation for for being sort of progressive, the, the women were just kind of smacked down repeatedly. So, mm-hmm. totally. I mean, you know, you can be forward thinking, but you can't help being a product of your time, whatever you're doing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's 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 plenty of valid reasons for it, and it's you know, it's easy to judge 1968 through you know 2011 sensibilities, and it's not so much that. It's just it's nice to see the steps being made now. It's nice to see, okay, well, we got another chick on the bridge and she's in a, in a prominent mm-hmm. position. That's good. We're, we're moving yeah. forward a little bit. So, I mean, that was, that was nice. And, and uh, you know, and, and to step back and, and not be quite so uh, feminist about it, man, was she hot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, she was amazing. Yeah. Uh-huh. <clears throat> yeah. The, the uh, Dr. Chapel thing was another attempt in that direction. That's true. That's right. That was very cool to see too. And Bones' attitude toward her has remained consistent, which is not, Oh, she's just a girl who cares. It was mostly just a cantankerous bones. Like, well, great. She's a doctor, but she better stay out of my way. Cause I do things my own way. So that was nice. I mean, you always got the feeling that he, you know, while there was sexism rampant everywhere, he still respected her. Yeah. And that didn't change here. She aged a lot in 10 years. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Major Barrett did. Um, or two as the, uh... yeah. Well, that's the thing. Some of the actors look roughly it the was... same. Some of them, we yeah, the wall yeah. Hard. The movie is supposed to take place two years after the series, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, two years after the end of the five-year mission, depending on where you think oh, that line is drawn. Yeah. Right, yeah. Right. So it's like four years after we've last seen seen them like live. Yeah. Our our assumption has been, and I don't know if canon backs this up or not, but our assumption has been that the two years of the animated series round out the five-year mission. Yeah. Cute. Which makes sense. And then um. And then from there, but obviously, you know, we didn't see the actors then, but, uh, yeah, it's been 10 years since we've seen them on screen and, and Shatner's hair and, uh, Nimoy's face and just, everyone's just hit the wall hard. Yeah. That being said though, they are still, they still sort of resemble the cast on the TV show. They do. Like Scotty, if you, if really old people, if you watch a season one Star Trek episode and then you watch like Star Trek six and you say, that is not the same guy playing Scotty. Who is that? This is like the missing link. Yeah, I mean, by six, they're all sort of uh, need walkers. Yeah. Yeah. And not just, I mean, they look old, but they look puffy. Like, Shatner especially, it looks like they just kind of inflated his face. (laughs) And that that hair. Well, no, I mean, we're we're all all getting there. (laughs) Can't help it. No. But, I mean, the hair is is something that everyone has made jokes about, and I don't want to dwell on it too much, but I, I do want to point out that he seemed to have normal hair to this point, and now... This is where it begins. I, I absolutely didn't mean that we shouldn't make fun of the hair. <laughs> Very well. Oh, good. No, I I did in that we, we have been trying to avoid the standard cliches, the standard, you know, gotcha. things that everyone says about Star Trek. But it should be pointed out that Shatner's hair does turn that corner toward Ridiculous Town here. I don't know what the hell's going yeah, on. Yeah, it turns that corner like at the top left of his head. Yeah. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> um... So one of the things we were kind of marveling over were the, uh, were the uh, optical effects, where everything would be done sort of CG now, obviously, in 1979, they didn't have that. Yeah, these are some of the most amazing optical effects ever put on, on film. And it's all just, like, light and color tricks, really, but it just it's, it is yeah. beautiful. It's clever, beautiful things you can do with light and uh, lenses. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, trying, to see, trying to think of what else visually. Um, Vulcan, we get to see a good, good uh, shots of Vulcan for the first time, instead of just, like... Uh, Spock's parents patio, <laughs> so that was nice. Oh, I love those giant Vulcan statues they've got there. Yeah, and they're holding the the weapons that they had in a mock time. That was a nice mm-hmm. touch. You had like the priestess. You had you had Spock in his like uh, long haired, uh, 
you know, hippie, I'm meditating, I'm meditating away the human aspect. Which <laughs> yeah. Is nice. Must not feel, must not feel. Damn it, Kirk. I, I think Vulcans are fooling themselves anyway. They, they, they have emotions. They've, we've, we've, we've seen them. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, you know, Ponfar. It's just, a, and... it's just a super repressed society. <laughs> yeah. And then if you're half human to even attempt the same kind of repression that the rest of them do, that's, you know, it's cruel. Yeah, that's true. Is what it is. Absolutely. Mm. Uh, the one thing I, d I didn't really buy story-wise was that the Enterprise was the only ship in range. This is this turns into a cliche later, but for now, they're above I even, Earth. I didn't even notice that. I, I thought that they were literally were sending Kirk because he knows how to deal with crazy spaceships. That would have been great. You changed one line a lot of dialogue and, yeah, that fixes What that. was he doing on the ship? Like, why was he going aboard? Uh, they I actually, thought he was just there to check out the refit. Yeah, that was... What a, what a dick. That's why Decker thought he was coming, but from the beginning, like, when he's uh, when he's down at Starfleet about to go to the ship, he says, I intend to take her back. Like, so from minute one, he's, his, his whole... Well, I guess he was prosecuted later in the movies. Yeah. Which is good. <laughs> Finally. Well, for that and so much more. So much uh -huh. more. There's a, there's a line, I think it's the beginning of four, where there's the Klingon ambassador... Uh, uh, approaching i guess whatever passes for the like the united nations like the the federation and the romulans and everybody are sort of gathered yeah. together <laughs> and he's Jay like what the fuck yeah james t kirk renegated murderer it's like finally <laughs> yes <laughs> but yeah the, the enterprise was the yeah. only ship in range and they're at earth like really there's only one starship at earth that seems like a very yeah. bad tactical decision missed that nope you're right that's totally I could have sent out a couple of those Astro men. <laughs> God, they were everywhere. To backflip at it. Yeah, there were, I mean, there, there was a lot going on. Uh, uh, Jason, you had mentioned this, that uh, this, this director really liked kind of keeping things looking busy. Guys there was a lot, you really got the sense of, of sense of place. And uh, like he, he, he painstakingly, there was so much, like we were mentioning that uh, the director also likes to have, you know, before the scene starts or as the scene's going on, something else happening in the background. And yeah. a lot, like, especially in the engine room, you, you're just getting the sense that this shit was, ship was not ready. Well, and the fact that the, this is a ship that they, you know, we've been told many times over the years has 430 people or whatever. And it's huge and there's a lot going on and it's nice to get that sense. It's not, it's nice that while yeah. we're focusing on the important things, the business of the ship is still going on. We get to see all the, the guys working in the tubes and the, you know, a guy fixing a panel and, you know, that's, yeah. that's nice, nice detail. But there's always in every shot in space, there's a guy in a space suit. There's like a dozen guys flipping around and, and hanging. Those there. guys are great. Yeah. They need speech bubbles. Whee! Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think what else, uh, what else we need to cover here? I mean, we, <laughs> We 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 watched this movie for, a lot. for two hours and fifteen minutes, but uh, you know, not a ton happens, and, and no. not even necessarily in a bad way. Just yeah, not a ton happens. Very little happens. Uh, we, but well, okay. Well, can we? Yeah, by uh, all we means. Can at least um, uh, the okay. So the star the stars at the beginning of the movie. Have, let's let me. I think it's kind of interesting because it's the like you were saying it was a um. You don't, it's something you don't see anymore, but it used to be that when you went to a big movie, they would play music like an overture before the movie started. Yeah, and I'm only really familiar with it in the, in the big, like I, I saw it in 2001, but also in some of the right. bigger epic movies from like the, like yeah, the Cecil exactly. B. the Mill days, like the big biblical epics, that, that kind of thing. That was the idea, and it was an outdated idea, but, yeah, but still. Yeah. But now, but the idea is, well, we're going to have one of those overtures on a field of stars. Now, me, I personally have a, um, a screensaver 
that's a that's a Starfield, so it, like, it sort of feels like I'm in space when my screensaver comes on. Mm-hmm. And they didn't have that at that point. You know what I mean? That was that ex- that that experience. I you know I find a little titillating, somewhat titillating. <laughs> <laughs> Are we witnessing the birth of a new life form here? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I get you. I mean, it's and... a cool thing. Like they, it, it wasn't meant to be a part of the movie. Yeah, I think including it on the DVD is just to maybe to um, you know complete for completionists. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Like, well, that's not the movie I saw. Fine, here. Yeah, but the reason this is my favorite Star Trek movie is because it was so. Um, uh, it it really tried to like this and and the and the whales one mm-hmm. are both pretty hippy dippy, but um, they show the side of Star Trek w- which is has an optimistic um, viewpoint of the future of humanity and what humans are supposed to do going into the future, like evolving socially, isn't, you know what I mean? Like as, um, uh, like they parallel the civil rights movement and, uh, like right now start like, you know, last year, Star Trek should have been about gay marriage, essentially like the, right. the, uh, all of the social issues of the, of the day with the mind towards, um, being open about stuff, you know, and, and, and Instead of uh, being divisive and um, hating, that's why I don't like the Borg as a Star Trek enemy because any enemy that's just you know a, a, a killer alien that just tries to kill everything is not what we're here for. I'll give you that, but I do think that they were meant to represent sort of the dehumanizing. I mean, there's the the old science fiction trope of you know uh, technology dehumanizes us, but really that's that's kind of what they represent. I think is like they're sucking the humanity out, they're sucking out all that you know all that stuff that you were saying and. Yeah. That's why they need to be stopped. When they were done okay. well, that's yeah, what they that, represented. But. Well, that makes sense. To do, the, to do them well, you have to tie them into this, the, the, the idea of uh, our open-mindedness and emotional life being very important. Well, to, right, and that's, that's why it was such a, a big deal with the uh, uh, Best of Both Worlds with Picard, because, you know, he is a very human, like very Renaissance man, very much represents that ideal you're talking about. And yeah. to have that drained away from him specifically is particularly brutal if you do it right. And, they, and I mm. think they did there. But then yeah, in Voyager, where they it? just kept coming and coming and coming, that was yeah, you know, that was dull. Totally. But I mean, that's, it's, that's, it's that's, supposed to be about ideas, you know. Like I yeah, think the, yeah. the from you know I heard a I don't know a rumor that um, Roddenberry didn't want. He had a, one of his directives was that they don't explain away stuff using techno babble. This was before the next generation, I guess, right. because the idea is to uh, you know is is that ideas should be generating the. Um, uh, the stories. That's what fuels science fiction. No, I absolutely agree. Yeah, and I think, cool. I think that old school uh, sort of ponderous sci-fi definitely kind of slips <laughs> away from Star Trek uh, going forward. Absolutely. And I think this is, this the, is the, the quintessential the one. Yeah. yeah. No, I agree with you there, but I do think Roddenberry, we, we've talked about this extensively on the show before, it's sort of lost sight of a lot of key ideas. Like, one of his things was that there should be no conflict between the cast and mm-hmm. you know uh-huh. i mean everybody knows drama is conflict you can't have yeah. no conflict that just yeah that's a bad idea definitely it doesn't yeah. work i think he had a lot of good concepts i don't think he necessarily knew how to tell a good story is my take but that's i mean that's me i think yeah I think he's, enough, he, he's he, a good he, guy he, to put in the big chair and then hire other people to actually carry the vision out you know yeah, absolutely. If he has a, you know, if his, and, and I think that the vision that we're talking about, you know, maybe he was terrible with it practically, but, you know, as a um, boss or whatever, mm-hmm. he, he, he definitely encouraged this, uh, this ideas and this optimistic view of humanity. And essentially, you know, like the 1960s, um, 
well, it was, know, so, it was, social ideas. Well, that and sort of putting a putting a good face on America's going into space. Well, are we doing that just to look better to the Russians? Or are we doing that for some greater purpose? And you know, yeah, totally. Like optimistic. The uh, war is supposed to be non-existent anymore. This right. is it's this this wonderful view. Exactly. No, and I think I think as far as that ideal goes, I think I, the motion picture is really the only Star Trek story I can think of that that represents that perfectly. But on the other hand, that's not to say you know the what comes later isn't great. Ah, uh, yeah, of course. And in a lot of ways, I think this movie kind of set the stage. Like, I don't think you could have yeah, it was or this movie was supposed to redefine Star Trek or, yeah. or like literally just define it again, not not yeah. um, extremize it or anything. And it did say I think. this is what we this is what we're doing. And, and I thought it did that really well. It, it it expanded the canvas to the point where you could tell the other stories in the other movies like you couldn't have done Wrath of Khan or The Voyage Home or Undiscovered Country with the series like you had to you, yeah. you had to expand the palette first. And that's what this did, I think. Gotcha. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But but again, I don't want to. I don't want to just. I don't want to just defend this, Matt. I know you're not a. You know. Yeah, yeah. Let's not a huge fan. I, I definitely want to hear the other side. Well, I mean, seeing it definitely oh, made I, me like. I enjoyed it a lot more than you know. I thought I would. I I still think it's one of the weaker ones. Like, mm-hmm. I enjoy most of the other movies a lot more than this one. But you know, it was definitely better than I thought. I think the thing is, while there's more action in a lot of the other movies, there's also more focus on character. Yeah. I just don't this think was, there was a ton of character stuff going on here. That, this you know, it really I, feels like this was focused primarily on staring at pretty things, and I mean those pretty things were exceptionally pretty, but they yeah. did it a lot. Yeah, it, the, the the sense of wonder thing and the sense of place. This is yeah. this was you know maybe overemphasized. I think you can. I think they're not mutually exclusive as a thing. I think you can have. A movie with the, strong action and, and good character conflict yeah. and also a sense of wonder. I think it's possible. Yeah, I feel like there is, you know, character development happened a little bit for, for Kirk, a lot for Spot, and for Ilya. And yeah. and that's it. And Ilya is someone we've never Well, Ilya is someone we've never seen before or since. So while that is true, it doesn't, to me, it doesn't matter that much. Mm, yeah. yeah. I'd also like to say that she was great yeah. in the movie as yeah. well as being played. No, and, and uh, uh, she really got the point across. Star Trek Phase Two was like a lot of those ideas were resurrected in Next Gen. Um, and as Matt pointed out in his summary, uh, Will Decker effectively became Will Riker, and Ilya became Counselor Troy. I actually think Ilya, the character and also the actor, would have made a better Counselor Troy than what we got. Yeah. Whereas I think Decker was boring yeah. and useless, and it stood there with his mouth open most of the time, spent a <laughs> lot of time in the background not doing anything. Yeah. Yeah. But but I think Ilya like she was a little more capable than than Counselor Troy. I think mm-hmm. by definition of her job, but also just her presence, and as you say, Jason, just acting wise, like when she's, she's playing, way better in every way, like right, yeah. you know, from, from the character uh, sketch to the actor. Yeah, and the, the you know having her be effectively the embodiment of a robot. You pointed out that there's some fairly subtle face acting going on where she drops, like she remembers the person that she was and some emotion shows through and then she regains her composure and goes back to robot. And, you know, there's some nice stuff going on there. It's non-verbal. clear. Like she's, it, it, her story really makes sense to me when, yeah. uh, and, and it really uh, plays, it really tells this, the story of Vidra as this, as this child, you know, that is kind of just waking up in the universe. Yeah. And I think part of the problem is if you look at this as maybe, I don't know, taking a lot of the ideas from the series and sort of presenting them in one, you know, like, okay, those were rough drafts. Here's the final version, because there was a lot of 
earlier episodes it's, in this. You know, it's, it's amazing this movie wasn't worse because it really did, from what I understand, go through many, many, many yeah. uh, script iterations. You know, and like it was there was going to be a TV show and there wasn't going to be a TV show. And normally when that happens, what you get at the end is is just it's like an incomprehensible mess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it was. They took the pilot, so the intended pilot of the show, and then they tacked yeah. some other stuff in. I, and, at one yeah. point, some major science fiction author—I want to say Ray Bradbury, but maybe it was Asimov or somebody I'm like that. I'm pretty sure I remember you telling me it was Ray Bradbury. Yeah, but just because I said it before. What happened? what happened? No, it was involved. Like the early on in the development stage, they got some sci-fi luminary to to contribute ideas, yeah. and I don't know if any of their stuff made it into this or not, but. But they were like brainstorming, or maybe even wrote a script or something. Wikipedia's like that. got the whole story of the of the the script development, and it's like an epic. Yeah, it's an huge. epic tale of being handed off and handed off. Yeah, <laughs> and then at the end, Gene Roddenberry wanted to take full credit for everything, and they said, "It's no. so funny." <laughs> it's like, yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, but you know, overall, I but did enjoy take it. Full credit for the for the heart of the movie, I think, because uh, and the the tagline at the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, Get ready to be human or whatever. The- <laughs> <laughs> All right. Any, any other? Like, ma- the, yeah. Go ahead. I, I enjoyed the kind of experience that this movie bring uh, brought to me. I agree. I don't know that I would want them all to be like that, but I'm glad that there's yeah. one movie like this. I, I, yeah. would, I don't want to take anything away from the Wrath of Khan and all the wonderful things that no. it does with character and, and excite, you know, an adventure. But um, no, I honestly think two, three and four. This is a, a nice template for, yeah. for what came later. Yeah. No, I absolutely agree there. I just I I see two, three, and four as as a whole as one yeah. continuous great story, and it's totally. hard it's hard for me to to live up to that. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of there's a lot of good stuff going on here, and like I said in my summary, just because this is my fifth favorite movie doesn't mean it's no good. It just means I like the other ones a little better. I, the only yeah. one I truly yeah. don't like is five. Yeah, and that's just because it's well, <laughs> that's five. Yeah, <laughs> where where the uh, the tagline it's for a this different movie. movie. Oh, I thought that was a tech world movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, Walter Koenig probably would have done that for a sandwich. So that's for sure. No, I just I, we talk about his burn. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Oh God, <laughs> this is one of the finest checkup checkup moments that I I can think of. Well, he's on, known so. apparently Koenig's known for being a good screamer. Like that's why they put him in the agony booth in Mirror Mirror. That's why he's got the earworm. So that's in, the in only reason on. they put him in the agony booth. Yeah, that's right. Well, that and everyone hates Chekhov. Right, that's talent. You know, Scotty has a th- ac- is good with accents. Mm-hmm. Chekhov has a uh, blood curdling scream, <laughs> and so and uh, and he will, you know, he will deploy it at any kind of minor laceration or abrasion. Yeah, <laughs> but the, the feature, uh, I don't know how to describe what it does. It sort of probes the ship with this living like, lightning yeah. bolt thing. Mm. Yeah, and, and like some sparks fly out of his terminal and burns his hand a little bit. Yep. And we see, we see a, not a close up, but, but fairly close in on his arm and it looks a little red. Yeah. But it's not it's like. a little red. Yeah. Yeah. But he actually holds his arm aloft yeah. and screams at it. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and then falls to the floor and everyone rushes to his aid because yep. they, you know, they've, they've been on the ship with him for a long time and they, they know he has extra needs. <laughs> Yeah, not only does Dr. Chapel rush to the, uh, you know, a full MD who has, has better things to do. She has to rush in and literally spray water on it. Yeah, right. Yep. <laughs> no, I think that's back team. Oh, sorry. You're right. But, but not only her, but also a nurse. And Ilea is, like, mentally soothing his pain at the same time. So three people. Mm. Meanwhile, as you mentioned later, Spock almost gets turned inside out by electricity. And, yeah. uh, you know, nobody rushes, like, to pat him on the, on the hand. No, and it's not emotional to 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 cry out in pain, I don't think. I don't, I don't no. think that yeah, counts. I, I, 
I don't know, I'm not sure where the line is there, but yeah. You know, I'm pretty sure not, Vulcans are allowed to hurt. Right. It's a physical thing. It's not He's an just not thing. a big baby, I think. Yeah. I don't think anyone is except him. <laughs> Check well, out his great war. His hair was more pointed than I had I'd seen it in this film. His hair was huge. It was huge, yeah. and uh, and you could, uh, you could, you know, you could slice bread on it. <laughs> yep, on the front of it. <laughs> I would love to see a five-minute sequence of the Enterprise flying through her hair. Yeah, we might have. That might have been one of the phases of V'ger. <laughs> Just all the catacombs. Beach umbrella. Yeah. I will say though, Nichelle Nichols probably at her hottest here. I I I thought about this for I thought about this for far too long. Actually, <laughs> put a lot of thought into this, but uh... no, it's. I mean, I'll I'll be totally honest here. I'm being a bit of a horn dog. The, the, the uniform was very form fitting, and it 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 really complemented her natural curves. She looked, mm-hmm. she, you know, her boobs look fantastic in this thing, and the uniform did not do some of the male. Members of the crew, members. Oh yeah, we didn't even mention how many, uh, you know, how many, how much junk sighting there was in this film. Lord. Well, that's what I'm saying. It didn't do them any favors. It's very. Uh... See, they're they're all wearing these onesies, right? These uh, the, these like uh, feety pajamas. That's the that's the future of. Yeah, we got fashion. very. We got totally very, excited about. There weren't very many wide shots, but we caught one where Decker clearly. The, we we didn't point it out when we were watching it, but in the first in the the uh, you know opening establishing shot of the bridge, mm-hmm. there's all these crew members around doing goofy things, and one of the guys is standing on his toes with his uh, in his oh, onesie. Yeah. You know what happens when that happens? What's that? The uh, uh, well, it, it you know the contours uh, become. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, I gotcha. Uh, tight fitting. <laughs> well, come on, don't don't give me some techno battle here. Explain to me the idea of the form fitting uniform. <laughs> No, I, it, they definitely were not contoured to, uh, to accentuate or to, uh, to complement the, the male, uh, anatomy so much. Yeah. You could tell, you know, you could tell the, the male crew members' religious backgrounds from. from <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, they, again, though, they did give the ship a, a sense of, of, you know, being busy and being huge. There's a, there's a point where Kirk first gets to the ship and briefs the crew, you know, we're, we're about to face something dangerous, oh, blah, blah, blah. If I were to. L- to live in any Star Trek movie, I would live in this movie. Yeah, because you know, it's the Enterprise game room and like, what's up? You know, yeah, that's where I would live. We see so much of the ship. We spend so much time in there, in their wonderful giant game room with a big, oh, yeah. uh, you know, floor Simon or whatever it was. <laughs> <laughs> but they, we get some shots of the entire crew, and you you get the feeling that it is all 430 people that he's responsible for, and they actually slipped some aliens like sort of in the background and. I imagine they did it in the background so they could do it sort of on the cheek with just a fright mask and yeah, you know, sort of. Half I would obscured. love to see that that uh, fr- freeze frame of that uh, a few of those shots because there's yeah. there's a lot of really fun aliens in there and there there was a like I mentioned there was a Pocahontas alien. Yep. <laughs> yeah, we we caught an Andorian. We caught someone uh, from the clown yeah. planet. Yeah. We, we, we might have seen Walrus Head from Star Wars. Yeah. Yep. So. Which I mean that could very well have been you know they they could have borrowed from the from the Star Wars props. I mean it was a couple of years later. It's, Certainly possible. Just let's just hide this in the background. No one will ever notice it. Yeah, well, well you know, giant... once you get your arm cho- chopped off, you go and join Starfleet. <laughs> Obviously. Yeah. Or you know that alien also might have been just so they could have like a shot of the the, the giant <clears throat> fleshy smooth cleft head. <laughs> oh God. They would, would then emphasize some of the later themes. Right. <clears throat> no, and and I mean as... it looked like a penis. I thought. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and and when you. Thanks for clarifying. That. I just wanted to make that clear. Yeah. The hammer is your penis. Um, <laughs> no, and, and in the final five minutes, I would say it definitely puts a, a head on this uh, this whole uh, theme of, of just, which is weird because the film is rated G. Like the only yep. Star 
Star Trek film, the only film I can think of, like sci-fi wise, that I've ever really been into that's rated G. But uh, I mean, even the Black Hole was rated PG. But um, it, that was that was a scary ass movie. It was, but I mean, there was some there was some creepy stuff <laughs> going on here too. But I'm saying the yeah. last five minutes was so incredibly charged with sexual overt sexual just it tension was. and no, not they tension because really, it paid off. Yeah. Yep. And it's great. Yeah, it did. <laughs> but it's just, it's so clear <laughs> everyone's having sex. Mm-hmm. They, they definitely pulled the wool over the eyes. Well, you know, it used to be that, that you could talk about sex around kids, but you would do it, like, tactfully or with metaphors and stuff like oh, that. Oh, sure. Now, I, I don't think that you're allowed to do that anymore. Either. That's why I thought being a, being a kid in the 70s, I thought, I didn't understand that there were gay people. I just thought there were confirmed bachelors and stuff like that, you know? Well, <laughs> no. Totally. Paul, Paul Lind isn't gay. He's, uh... He's festive. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. It was a whole language. It was very yep. cool that we don't really have anymore. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Anything more to say about this? Are we ready to, to press on to our uh, sort well, of that final was thoughts here? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, so for my quote, um, there's a bit when uh, when Ilea first comes on the ship and, uh, and she basically says, right after she says hello to Kirk, this is the next thing out of her mouth, which, you know, good for her. Lieutenant Ilya, reporting for duty, sir. Welcome aboard, Lieutenant. Hello, Ilya. Decker. I was stationed on the Lieutenant's home planet some years ago. Commander Decker? Yes, our exec and science officer. Captain Kirk has the utmost confidence in me. And in you too, Lieutenant. My oath of celibacy is on record, Captain. So that happened. (laughs) Matt, what do you got? I I got Kirk's rather awkward metaphor for uh get, for uh, getting back into the captain's chair. Sir, you haven't logged a single star hour in two and a half years. That plus your unfamiliarity with the ship's redesign, in my opinion, sir, seriously jeopardizes this mission. I trust you will nurse made me through these difficulties, Mister. Yes, sir. I'll do that. Yeah. Um, also, if, if there was any way to do a visual quote, I would do the scene of a small man in a spacesuit being chased by the by uh, uh, V'ger. Yeah, there's there's a bit where the V'ger cloud sort of engulfs <laughs> an entire giant, cool looking space station, and then there's one guy in a spacesuit in the foreground just trying yeah. to get away. Just, just oh god, away. oh god, I don't oh know god. where he thinks he's going. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he should be miming running, like he should be pumping his arms and legs. <laughs> I'm getting <laughs> out of here. Yeah. Uh, Jason, you got a quote? Sure. Uh, my, my quote, um, I think, uh, exemplifies the themes of the film, and it's uh, from Mr. Spock. I intend to calculate thruster ignition and acceleration rate to coincide with the opening of the Beecher orifice. Yeah, I think, I think if Spock can say that kind of stuff with a straight face, we're definitely not reading more into this than we think. Like, if, yeah. if he's saying it, it must be that way. Agreed. Uh, as far as an alternate title goes, um, I, like I said, I kind of fixated on the fact that they called themselves the motion picture, which I don't think anybody called anything after about 1947, but, uh, I would have called this, look how much money we have, the dapper celluloid talkie. (laughs) I went with Disco Bones and the giant blue outer space freakout. Oh, we never talked about Disco Bones. Oh God. Yeah. We mentioned this. Well, we, well, we talked on Sarcastic Voyage some time ago, we talked about Disco Bones, but I don't think we've mentioned it on, on this show, and we need to. Um, well, suffice it to say, he arrives uh, on the ship in a leisure suit and gold chains with a swinger beard. Yeah. Yep. 
Giant beard, a, a shirt open to his navel with a yep. gold medallion. We can't see his shoes, yeah. unfortunately, but I think they probably have live goldfish in them. <laughs> They've beamed him up from um, uh, from from a swingers party. Studio Fifty Four, the, the after party. Yeah, it, in the studio system. And and there's there's a bit. I mean, that whole scene is great. Um, yeah. If I could pick a second quote, it would just be that entire scene, which is uh, Bones bitching about being redrafted. Like he left Starfleet, he quit, and uh, Kirk wanted him, and he drafted him, and it, this is a great bit. And again, it wouldn't do it justice to play you the audio because you have to see the, the getup that he's in while he's delivering this tirade. Ugh, he yeah. is very sexy. Yeah. I, I've said <clears throat> for quite some time as we've made our way through the original series, Bones has emerged as my absolute favorite character, bar none. Just mm -hmm. so fantastic. Every time he he's, opens uh, his mouth, it's just gold. He likes to party. <laughs> I believe that he does. <laughs> yep. Uh, you got a, you got a title for us, Jason? Oh yeah, I, you know I'm stealing this one, but I, I thought that it uh, like again, uh, once again I'm, the themes that uh, I'm choosing to um, illuminate. Uh, I, my alternate title would be Star Trek: The Tented Member. Absolutely, <laughs> which which harkens to a very specific bit on the bridge. <laughs> there is some tenting uh, yeah. across the board in the film. I mean, a lot of it is you know you see a lot of the background crew and you see a lot of the background crew. Well, Ilya is <laughs> quite something to look at, and as I said, Michelle Nichols is nothing to sneeze at in this either. And uh, there's going to be some tenting. You're going to get. Uh, That's right. You're going to get a little, uh, a little excited. It's, just, it's like you're you're out at sea. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much, and and the outfits look more naval than ever. So that's probably part of it. I can't imagine what happens when these guys cross the space equator. Then, of course, Rand walks by, and it's basically the equivalent of wah, wah. Yeah. <clears throat> I want to say poor Rand, but then, no, I don't. No. Not after the transporter. No, no definitely not. And then they just put her right God, back on get that there. woman. Yeah, 15 minutes later, she's beaming bones aboard. Yeah. Not cool. All right, any any final thoughts before we take off, gentlemen, or... Uh... Uh, no, thanks. I just want to uh, uh, encourage everybody to... Um, uh, Embark on humanity's adventure. Yeah, it's just yeah. beginning, apparently. So uh, it's just beginning. It's humanity great. only. We should underline. Yeah, great time to jump yeah. on, though. I mean, this is a great, uh, great opening point here. Matt, mm -hmm. anything further? No, I think that's it. Well, then uh, take us out with your catchphrase. See you, folks. The Post Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar Watt and Matt Robotham. Copyright 2011. Please don't sue us, we're just doing this for fun. <laughs>